Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. I'm Michael Work. You and I jumped right in. It took no time to recommend. Today on the program, we are talking about finding gentleness, how to move from self-harm to self-friendship, and the themes in line with uh, many of the topics that we've had on the program since uh, December last year, and uh, we'll get into the topic very shortly. I just want to welcome you to the program today. If you're listening in live, you can call in, join the conversation at any time. The number is uh, on the Blog Talk Radio site. It's at 347-945-7891. And uh, you can also join in on the chat forum and ask your questions there or make some comments. And I'm um, happy to... Um, address your concerns or questions or topics of conversation. And uh, if you are listening into the archive program, you can explain uh, to those listeners know that you can find that on blogtalkradio.com forward slash the mind whisperer. And also if you do a search on iTunes, uh, you'll find our podcast there. And also on Facebook, um, we have a group called the Mind Whisperer, surprisingly. <laughs> Um, and I encourage you to go there and join and follow and uh, keep supporting the program as you are. So without further ado, let's get into the topic at hand today, which is looking at finding gentleness. Well, this is an interesting subject, and as always, I come to these subjects either through the course of my own life or some of the clients that I work with in my private clinical practice uh, as a clinical counselor, uh, psychotherapist, or just from my own contemplation of uh, how these principles apply in daily life. What do we mean by finding gentleness? What do I want to address today is this awareness that we can have of disconnection, of dis-ease dis with ourselves. And it's something that uh, we may not notice until we go through difficult challenges in our lives. And what becomes the point of friction there is not necessarily the challenge of the quote-unquote external um, circumstance, whatever the problem is. It's the relationship to ourselves and how we manage or feel a sense of being overwhelmed by what we're going through, that if we really dig down deeply we will find is is the root of our suffering in in the buddhist sense that we are kind of doing battle with ourselves that the ego and that being the 
holder of our identity. Perhaps that's a good way to describe the ego. You know, every time I hear the word ego, it has this sort of pejorative, negative connotation. It has, you know, has this like it's some kind of horrible narcissistic uh, entity, and that we should feel guilty about it. And our ego is a bad thing, and we want to root this out. Well, that's also part of the problem. The, the idea is that ego is an aspect of consciousness that uh, we can work with, that we can identify, we can label and look at in terms of how we function and how the aspect of, of consciousness that helps define our personal characteristics and our personality and our likes and dislikes can over-operate and can become the de- defining orienting principle or MO, if you will, modus operandi for how we conduct ourselves, for how from how we relate to experience and other people. And that's where we have a problem. It's almost like our ego becomes, you know, nationalistic. If we were if if we are our own country, the ego can becomes the embodiment of nationalism and jingoism, you know, kind of an aggressive externally facing outward facing identity and what we want to be is neutral and open and interdependent with other nations but the ego can become a very conservative element it can become a very factional divisive and protectionist um, element within ourselves but we all need some kind of ego to function to know our name and to know how we carry ourselves in the world. So this we're coming back to finding gentleness. You can see how this aggressive stance uh can be in disaccord with what's underneath. And what's underneath is that we are a raw and vulnerable beating heart, the human being. That we have an experience of uh still needing connection and needing to feel tenderness needing to relate to life in an open way and to feel the affections of of life, whether it's, you know, maybe an, uh, an animal, like a pet in our lives, or at the very, very you know, minimum, um, appreciating life for what it is, even just a house plant, you know, a connection with life. And, of course, we build outwards from there to our uh, children or children in general, or, you know, our, our loved ones and family. So what is this this discord, this disconnection? Well, it's the ego operating from this sense that it is this intact, uh, self-perpetuating defensive structure that's kind of fixed and opaque. And really, it's just, again, a posture. It's almost like, you know, I come back to the uh, story of the Wizard of Oz, which I've related to in previous programs. And I think it's that book is a wonderful metaphor for human consciousness because it's looking at the Wizard of Oz who is compensating for what he feels is, you know, his smallness in life, his small stature, you know, wanting to rise to some fantasy of grandiosity and, and power. And so he hides behind the menace and the 
mask of the almighty uh, omniscient uh, Wizard of Oz, who's really controlling through um, fear. That's also perhaps a metaphor about government, about um, you know the, the 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 danger of big government in an Orwellian kind of way. But I think it more aptly describes our consciousness. And certainly, if you look at the three main characters in that story, trying to balance uh, family and connection, heart and mind, you know, Scarecrow, Tin Man, and Dorothy, respectively. And it's a story, you know, that's that's based in a fantasy. And um, but you know, you're left questioning whether it is a fantasy or whether it's really happened at the end of the story and the end of the film. Certainly, when Dorothy returns to Oz, so to speak, through the you know this this tornado, she sees her family. And you know, your your conventional interpretation is okay. She's um, projected her fantasy onto her family and turned them into these characters in a dream. But, you know, the metaphor still stands about trying to balance out those considerations. And that's what we're all trying to do. We are born very vulnerable and needing our mother primarily and then our father. And um, we spend the rest of our lives trying to balance those needs of connection with um, independence. So when we're faced with a crisis or a struggle... We become very squarely reminded of where we stand with ourselves. Whether we are hiding behind this facade of the Wizard of Oz, (laughs) this larger-than-life embodiment or projection of our child self, or whether we are confident enough to balance all those elements within ourselves to be vulnerable and open and yet clear with who we are in the first place. And as I've talked about quite extensively on the program, you know, our early childhood upbringing is, um, or our upbringing and our early childhood um, really is the crucible in which uh, our conditioning is formed and set to a large extent and how we're oriented towards balancing all those things. So, how can we take advantage of this awareness? How can we use this to our advantage, if you will, and really cultivate a relationship with ourselves? Well, certainly meditation is, you know, in in the Buddhist path is the prescribed way. Simply to ha- hold what they call bare attention through mindfulness meditation, to just simply observe what's happening as you sit in uh, equipose, which means balanced mind-body state and posture, in as neutral a posture as you can, to just bear witness to what's happening in your mind and your body and the reactivity of the mind. Almost like a, a an uncomfortable child or a, a uh, impatient, precocious puppy or even a wild colt. There's an unrestrained wildness to the mind and and to consciousness. And as we just bear witness to it, almost you know, like the title of this program, The Mind Whisper, is kind of akin to the horse whisper. The horse whisper being the, the famous individual who 
uh, somebody else will know his last name offhand. I, uh, and I know his first name is Buck because of the movie I saw, um, a documentary about him. And uh, forgive me for not remembering his last name. But he's a very strong but gentle um, presence with the horses and respects them, um, but also recognizes that, that they require leadership and strong leadership, but gentle leadership to help them feel safe and to build a relationship. And we can do the same thing with ourselves. That we can, just by our presence and, and the practice and the training with our own mind, can develop this confidence with ourselves. But it takes the courage to be able to sit not necessarily just in meditation, but to be able to stay with ourselves. And in fact, as Pema Chodron, the well-known uh, Buddhist nun, American uh, teacher, um, says in her writings, it's actually in the difficult times when we are feeling the pointedness of our own fear and insecurity and anger or jealousy, those difficult emotions, it's in those moments that we can actually lean in. It's almost like those experiences, like a spear pointed at our chest. But the spear is just the illusion. It's the fear of the pain and, and, and the story, the narrative about what it means. But actually when you just lean into the pain and lean into what the ego is creating out of it, that you can actually move through it. Because mind is in control. Your consciousness is in control. And the experience of recognizing that it is an experience, it's not actually a spear. It's the fear of what that means, the fear of being overwhelmed by it. But your consciousness is limited, unlimited. It's limitless. And so uh, that courage to lean in, in in those difficult moments helps you transcend or move through what seems an impenetrable obstacle. There's a certain fearlessness there. And there's a quality of relating to ourselves, to borrow from John Bradshaw and others, with this uh, relationship to our our inner young selves, our inner children. That again, that doesn't we don't want to turn that into an actual child that we infantilize ourselves and say there's an you know a, a, an actual entity in our in our inner consciousness that's you know forever a child but there is that childlike quality in within us there's perhaps it is unhealed childhood wounds of neglect abandonment abuse but it could just be the unintegrated aspects of our emotional life and, and our, our sense of selves that we've hidden away. Again, almost like we've abandoned ourselves. The parts of ourselves we don't like to feel. We don't like to feel needy. We don't like to feel dependent. We don't like to feel childlike. And we can lock those away, much like a parent who is triggered by their own children can actually physically neglect or avoid relating to their children in their own way, we can do that in an internal way. And quite often those two things go together. If we've grown up under those circumstances, we, in fact, replicate them and within ourselves and 
with others in our other relationships. So it requires a certain vigilance and a constant um, training to come back, to come back to that openness and that loving kindness towards ourselves. And we can really make a meal of our experience and our regrets and our, our unforgivable intransigences, you know, in the past. Um, and the antidote to that is just to come back to remembering that you're alive and that you're entitled to uh, peace of mind and uh, loving kindness yourself just by the right of being an organism that's alive and with a beating heart in your chest, that you have the right and you have the ability, more importantly than the right, to create peace for yourself. And peace does not necessarily mean the absence of difficulty or conflict. It means that you are not internalizing that conflict and fighting yourself. Life is hard enough. So this comes back to the root cause of suffering in the Buddhist teachings and what are called the Four Noble Truths. And that is that the real cause of our suffering is that we want to avoid suffering. And life is suffering. We are born knowing we're going to die. We are born knowing that those around us won't live forever and may get sick and suffer. And that's an unavoidable truth, that life is impermanent. And it's a very difficult thing for us to reconcile because we are born with a lifespan in front of us. We're not sure how long. Sometimes we do know how long we're going to live if we've been diagnosed with an illness, for example. We have a sense that maybe our lives won't be as long as we'd hoped. But that's an unavoidable truth. And the more that we can make peace with that truth and accept it, the the less suffering we will incur because it's something that we don't have control over. So let's come back to the core of the subject today, and that is why why do we want to come back to gentleness? How is gentleness a strength, and how does it relate to living daily life? And again, just to reiterate, our, most situations challenge us to our core because they make us aware of how aggressive we are with ourselves, how hard we are in ourselves, that we shouldn't be feeling what we're feeling. We shouldn't be having to go through what we're going through. And in fact, life is precious and life is a gift. And when we come back to that appreciation, we can relax a little bit, lighten up. As long as we're alive, we can realize that we still have possession of this gift and can honor it and to cherish ourselves, to not squander and control or try to control and overprotect this precious life that we have. Well, perhaps that's a good note to end on. I hope that today you pause for reflection and anything that you're going through will give you pause to uh, contemplate things that I've brought forward in today's program to go a little easier on yourself. And of course, when you have some compassion towards yourself, it's hard enough that what you're going through to come back to 
honoring the life force within you and that you're here and now. Give yourself a break. Uh, that you can go, that will translate into easing up on others. And in fact, when you look at how critical you or reactive or sharp you may be with other people, if you trace it back, you'll find that that will actually cause you more harm as you walk away if you have a conscience. Because none of us like to feel that directed towards ourselves. And as I've said, as somebody who's taught and practiced Aikido for over 20 years, the last thing I would want is to actually um, get into an altercation where some of that training may end up in somebody else getting hurt because it would be on my conscience, no matter how much I can justify it. Of course, in the end, if someone wants to threaten my life, it comes down to me or them. But in the meantime... Uh, it's the furthest thing from my mind because I would not want to be the cause of that suffering for that person or to have that on my conscience. Well, I hope the program has been of benefit to you today and that you take it to heart and look at your relationship with yourselves and others around you. As always, it's been my pleasure to host the program today. My name is Michael Gordon. You've been listening to The Mind Whisper on Blog Talk Radio. And we will be chatting again soon. Hope you have a great day. Take care and we'll see you next time.